Today we're going to move along in our study that we've started a, a while back, Great Men of the Bible. Uh, last week we, we finished looking at the man of faith, Abraham. We spent uh, five weeks looking at Abraham. Today, this week, we're going to move to Moses, a man that the Bible says God talked to as a friend. So we leave off this man that, that's recorded in God's Word as the man of faith, and we now approach this man that, that the Bible says uh, God spoke to as a friend. Can you imagine that? Uh, God's own words, our Creator, His own words, are, are that He talked to Moses as a friend. And I think about that, and I think about as we've gone through this study, uh, you know what, I, I want to be used by God. That's a, that's a desire of mine. Uh, I want to live a life that matters. I don't want to just get to the end and have paid a bunch of bills and endured a bunch of hardships and get to the end and it just end like that. I want to be uh, useful to the cause of God, to the cause of Jesus Christ. I want to exist like that. But on top of all of that, wouldn't you like to be able to be called a friend of God. That is a huge thing. That's a profound thing. The creator God of all things says he spoke to Moses as a friend. Well, we're going to start our look at, at the life of Moses. Uh, as we do understand the context and really understanding the context is going to be very, very important. Uh, remember where we were? God makes a covenant with Abraham. Uh, he tells him to leave where he's at and go to a, a land that he's going to establish for him, the promised land. He makes this covenant that he and his descendants will possess this promised land, and he's faithful to that. Uh, they do possess it. But at the point that we, we find today, where we start today, uh, the Hebrews have left the promised land, and they've gone to Egypt. They've gone to escape or, or to survive a drought. A uh, long chain of events falls into place, and they end up as slaves in Egypt. Well, they are, they are treated terribly there. Uh, they are beaten there. They are worked mercilessly there. And now it's been 400 years. And that's, that's a huge thing to, to understand when you think about the context. This isn't a, a short-term deal. This isn't, this isn't 10 years or, or 30 or 40 years. It is now generation after generation after generation that have existed as slaves. All they know is being a slave. All they can remember. You know, my dad and my granddad, when I talk about my great-granddad, all we can talk about, all we can remember is existing as slaves. And so I want you to see this. They really have no hope. They have no hope. All they can think about, all we know, is this is how we're treated. This is what we do. This is what my granddad did. They actually have no hope if God doesn't do something. If God doesn't act, if God doesn't step in, this is going to be their life. Well, that's a, that's a pretty heavy context. They actually literally have no hope. They have no wealth. They have no, no, no army. They have no uh, artillery that they can mount up and, and mount a, a revolution with. If God doesn't do something, this will be their life. They will exist as another generation in slavery. Bible tells us over these years that, that God had blessed them, they had multiplied, and that their, numbers, uh, their number is so great that the king of Egypt, it actually says, uh, sees that they are beginning to outnumber the Egyptians. And so he's wise. He starts to say, you know what? Uh, there's starting to be more of them than there are of us. Uh, if they got organized, if there was some way they, they pulled together, 
they might overthrow us. And so he sees them. They're, they're a great number. It's an awesome thing as we're, as we're using them as slave labor, but now it is beginning to be a threat. So he actually starts having the male babies thrown into the Nile River. And that's where we're at today. You know, if there's a, if there's a male baby born, the, the midwives, as they deliver that baby, they're to carry the baby and they're to take that male baby and they're to throw it in the Nile River. That's where we start today in our context. God's people, the Hebrews, they are hopeless, they are helpless, and they're suffering greatly as slaves. Now, at this point, we have the introduction to Moses. And I, and I thought as I looked at it, the best way to really introduce Moses would be to read the entire second chapter of Exodus. And so I'm going to read, this is the account of his birth. This is the account of his younger years. I'm going to read that. It's chapter 2, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 25. And so I'm going to read the account. We'll work our way through the account. And then we'll go back and, and think about some things through the account. So Exodus chapter 2, and, and here's where, how it starts. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. They're from the tribe of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Now, she's supposed to, to throw him there in the Nile River. That's the order. But when she could hide him no longer, couldn't hide him, she got a wicker basket and covered it over it with tar and pitch. She put the baby into it, and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. She makes this basket. She covers it in pitch so it will float. And she puts the baby in it. And she places the baby in the, in the basket along the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Now, some folks say, well, they were, they were familiar with the pattern of Pharaoh's daughter and they were hoping that somebody would find them. I'm not sure we know what they thought would happen. And so the sister is back at a distance and a three-month baby boy is in a basket and they're not sure what's going to happen. Maybe he'll roll out of the basket. Maybe he'll go on down the river and never be seen again. Maybe somebody will find him there. They have no idea what's going to happen to this baby. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile, and her maidens walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, the sister that was watching to see what's going to happen, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, somebody to feed the baby, to nurse the baby, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. How interesting. She goes and finds Moses' mother her mother, and says, you know what, uh, come, they, they want you to fill in as a, as a nurse for this baby. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. His own mother gets to raise him, gets to nurse him up until a point. And not only that, is going to receive wages for it. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. There's a point where the, the, the boy is weaned, and she brings him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Probably a heartbreaking thing for, for the mother to let go of him, but, but this is the only way it's going to move forward. And she named him Moses and said, 
because I drew him out of the water. Now he's going to be raised in the house of Pharaoh. He's going to be educated as an Egyptian. He's going to have all the best things, a great education because of this opportunity of being raised in Pharaoh's house. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, some time has passed, he's a grown man, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. One day he's a man, he's a, he's a grown man, he goes out and he sees one of the Egyptians beating one of his, his, his countrymen, his Hebrew slave, a Hebrew slave, and he sees him beating him. So he looked, verse 12, he looked this way and that. He knew what he was going to do. And when he saw that there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Understand, he, he flew into a rage. He saw this injustice. He saw this Hebrew being beaten. And he saw the hands of this Egyptian that were do, was doing that. And he goes and he looks around and nobody's around. And so he kills the Egyptian, slays him, and buries him there in the sand. He went out the next day. It's the next day. It's after that. And behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? Moses comes up. He finds two Hebrew men. They're fighting. He says, why are you fighting each other? Why are you striking your companion? But he said, one of those two guys, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. Evidently, one of these guys saw it or somebody saw it and told one of these two guys. But he comes and says, why are y'all fighting each other? Y'all are, are of the same country, the same, um, the same tribe, the same nationality. And, and the guy says, well, what are you going to do? Who are you? Are you our judge? Or are you going to kill us the way you did the Egyptian? Surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled down in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Pharaoh hears of the account. He decides, you know what? Moses has got to die. Moses runs, he flees, and he goes to a country called Midian. And he sat down by a well. Midian actually translates the middle place. He goes to the middle place, which my translation is this. He goes to the middle of nowhere. The flat middle of nowhere. You know what? There's trouble at home. And he goes to the middle of nowhere and there's a well there. And he sits down by the well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to draw well water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. This priest of Midian had seven daughters. Didn't have any sons evidently. And they would come to this well and they would dip out the water. And they would fill up the trough for the sheep to drink out of. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. Well, the men, the shepherds would come and they would run these women off with their flock. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to rule their father and said, why have you come back so soon today? So they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, where is he then? Why is this that you've left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave him Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. The man gives him one of his daughters to marry. Then she gave birth to a son 
And she named him Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner, a traveler in a foreign land. Now it came out in the course of that, those many days that the king of Egypt died. That king back in Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage. And they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. Now, there's a whole bunch to see there. Again, this is the introduction from here. We're going to see some tremendous days uh, in the life of Moses moving forward. But I think the first thing we need to see, the greatest thing that we need to see here is this. God heard their cries and God acts. God is faithful. Remember when we saw that a couple weeks ago? Our God is a covenant-keeping God. And he makes that very clear to us. He is a promise-keeping, a covenant-keeping God. He remembers his covenant with Abraham. He actually told him that after 400 years, he would bring them back. And we see here the very, most, the very first thing, the most important thing is God's word stands. Listen very carefully. Throughout all of this, we see, and I hope we're seeing that, and I hope that's the point to our men's lunch, we're seeing God's word stands. You know what we saw with Abraham? God's word stands. What we know in the creation account, God's word stands. What we're getting ready to see here in the life of Moses, God's word stands. If he has said it, you can count on it. If he has said it, you can take it to the bank. God is faithful, God is trustworthy, and God's word stands. Now, man, I can could, I could tell you a lot of stuff. The problem in our world today is we've lost confidence in the word of God. The problem in the world today is we've thrown away, we've set aside the word of God. Listen, from the very start all the way till today, understand this. God's word still stands. God's word stands. Now, the other thing to see, and this is what we're going to see this week, is that God is going to act. Now, don't, don't mix that up. God is going to work. God is going to deliver his people. God is. Sometimes we think, well, Moses did that. No, God is the one that's going to deliver. God is the one that's going to act. God is the one that's putting all this into motion. But he is going to use a man to lead it. In his plan and in his wisdom, he is going to use a man to lead the deliverance of his people. Now, God's going to do it, but he's going to use Moses, a man, to lead it. Next week, we're going to see the call of Moses. Uh, he's 80 years old when God calls him. We're going to see a pretty awesome thing next week when God calls Moses. But this week, we see here in the second chapter, the background, really just the background of this, this man, Moses. Here, here's what I take away as I read through this account. Be sure and notice this today. See this today. God was in the details. Today, listen, God is in the details. In fact, we see here God is in not just the generalities, He is in the exact details. God takes care of all of the details. In fact, He takes He takes all of these details, and some of them we don't even think about, some of them we don't even consider, and they are important in the development of the life of this leader. Some of these things we don't even think about, they're gonna be they're gonna be hugely important in the life of this leader. Moses is born at a time when the males are killed. You know what? God's in the details and Moses isn't killed. 
this leader, now think about it, if you were going to pick a leader to lead these folks, you know what, it would be a great thing if he was a Hebrew, that he would be able to lead the Hebrews. That would just make sense. But you know what, he's also going to have to be familiar and have an end with the Egyptians, especially with Pharaoh that he's going to have to deal with. Do you see God's in the details? He's a Hebrew who has an end with Pharaoh. God is in the details. This man, and, and, and we saw it in Abraham, we're going to see it again in Moses, he's just a man. Man, he's hot-headed. He, he killed a man and buried him in the sand. Pharaoh wanted him dead. He wanted him dead. You know what? He goes off somewhere and he's able to live. God is in the details. So understand today, here you sit. And God knows your details. And not only does he know your details, he will use your details. When I look at this background of Moses, here's what begins to stand out. You know what? God knows you. And God knows me, and he knows your details. And he not only knows your details, he will use your details. We, we could sit here today and say, you know what? I was born in a terrible environment. That's what our world says. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know where I was raised. You don't know what kind of home I had, what kind of school I went to. You know what? You could be born in a terrible environment. I promise you it wasn't any worse than Moses. You know what? You could be born into a family that has issues and pressures, this mother had to give him up. He could be born into a family saying, you know what? You don't understand my family. Listen, I don't think it could be any worse than Moses. You know what? You could be raised by pagans, people that had no love for God, not the one true God, people that didn't even know God. You know what? It couldn't be any worse than Moses. You could, you could sit here today, and I don't care if you're 20 or 30 or, or 50 or 80 or 94, you could sit here today and say, you know what, man, I've got so many heartaches I've got so many things I, I don't understand in my life. I don't understand why this happened. You know what? I've, I've made some bad responses in my life. I've sinned. I've done some terrible mistakes in my life. Couldn't be any worse than Moses. God is in the details. Now, let me, let me make sure you understand this. This account is about Moses. It's not about us. Sometimes we want to make everything in the Bible about us. And really, I'll just tell you, as we learn with Abraham, it's really, it's really not so much about Moses as it is about God and his faithfulness and that he is trustworthy. But we also do see here that we have a God who sees and knows and who takes where we've been and who we are, and he can take that and shape that and use it to honor his cause. You know what I've, I've noticed and, I, and I've said this for about 10, 12 years. I've noticed this, and I've, I've said this several times. For some reason, God can take our craziest stuff, our biggest foul-ups, our biggest mess-ups, and if we will turn those things over to him, he'll use them in the greatest way. You know what? I've noticed that in my own life, and I've noticed that in the life of other guys. You know what? He can take our biggest mess-up, our biggest screw-up, where we completely blew it all apart, and if we will repent and ask him to forgive us, and if we'll turn it over to him, he can take that thing, and it may be the greatest ministry we've ever seen. You know what? There's people, and I'll just, I'll just be honest with you, there's people you can reach I can never reach. You know what? I, I like to think I can reach anybody. I like to say, give me 30 minutes. I like to tell someone about Christ. There are people you can reach 
They have no use for me. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. They wouldn't give me some of them the time of day. There are people you can reach because of who you are and where you've been that I can never reach. There are people that you can impact that will never set foot on the inside of Calvary Baptist Church or whatever church we're talking about. There's people that you can impact that they're not going to walk to a church to find their answers. You know what? God can and he will use you. And your greatest sometimes mess-ups, he'll take those things because he's a God of the details and he'll use them for tremendous things. Remember where we started. Thinking about Moses. And I I sit there and think, you know what? I, I read about him. I read about his obedience. I read about his hothead. I read about where he messes up. I I read about where he does things that are not popular. He does them anyway. I read all these tremendous things. But I also go back to where we started today. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be awesome to be called a friend of God? How awesome that the creator God of all things would say, you know what, I know him. And I talk to him as my friend. Do you know in the New Testament, by faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are friends of God. Did you know that? The Bible says we're no longer enemies. In fact, it actually says we're no longer slaves, but we're friends of God. You know what? I think the greatest thing is to be called a friend of God. By faith in Jesus Christ, not of any work that you'd ever do, by faith in Christ alone, we are friends of God. Friends, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, don't go back to work. Go, don't do, do something else until you've settled that fact. You know what? By faith in Jesus, we are called friends of God. No longer enemies, but friends. If you've never settled that, listen, you find somebody, you find me after this, you talk to somebody, you settle that today. We have that hope. We have that promise through faith in Jesus Christ. The second part of this whole deal is this. You know what? God's in the details. He knows where you're at. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. He knows where you've been obedient. He knows where you've failed. He is a God of the details. If we'll give them to him, he can use us for tremendous things. Every one of us here, whatever situation, whatever age, I'm going to tell you the best days for potential for pointing glory to our God are still ahead of us. We have that hope. Glad you were here today. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Glad you were here today. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for you. I'm thankful that however messed up we get, messed up we are, that you'll forgive us. You tell us if we confess our sins, you're faithful, you're righteous and just. You forgive us of those sins and cleanse us of all unrighteous. Lord, I'm thankful for the forgiveness of sin. I'm thankful for a new start, for a clean slate through Christ. Lord, I, I tell you, I love you for that. I thank you for that. I pray for us as men here today that outside of Christ are condemned in our sin, that bear the weight of our sin, that go to bed at night trying to hide and suppress that sin, that through Jesus Christ, the finished work of the cross, we are no longer enemies of God, but friends restored in the, in the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be blown away by that. I pray that we'd be excited by that. I pray we'd be motivated by that as we go back to a lost and dying world that we would tell them the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for any man that's sitting here today that doesn't know you. I pray that in this day, in the preaching of this gospel, the only only gospel by which we're saved, that today may be the day of their salvation 
work in their hearts. Lord, we praise you, we thank you, we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.